Well, hey, and welcome to church. If you don't know who I am, my name is Mike. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here at Luton Christian Fellowship. And you find us right in the middle of our summer campaign or our summer series. We're looking at this word together, looking at what it means to be together as the church. And my message this morning is simply titled, Together We Are Moving Forward. Together We Are Moving Forward. And because we have our kids joining us and our youth as well, I want to take us back to Sunday school. Now, if you've grown up in the church, you will know all about Sunday school, whether it was a flannel graph you had Bible stories told on or a VHS uh, with a cartoon Jesus, or maybe it was even a book where the teacher would show you the amazing pictures of stories like Jonah in the whale and Elijah on Mount Carmel and Jesus turning water into wine and Peter jumping out of a boat and walking on the sea. We love our Bible stories in Sunday school. And if you have never been to Sunday school, maybe this whole church thing is a new phenomenon in your life. I'm going to take you to Sunday school today because we are going to be looking at a really famous Sunday school story. Now, the danger of looking at these stories as we grow up in faith and grow up in church is so often when we hear the texts that we heard as five-year-olds or eight-year-olds or even ten-year-olds, we equate them to be children's stories. Now, every story you would have heard in Sunday school, and maybe your Sunday school teachers are still in LCF, they aren't just fantastical fairy tales, they actually happened. And it is so easy to forget that fact and disregard that fact when you've been to Sunday school and you've seen Flannel Graph Jesus or VHS Peter uh, and and you've stuck Peter on the on the sea with your crafts uh, as you've sat in Sunday school. We forget that these accounts actually happened. And I want to take you to one of my favourite Sunday school stories this morning. And it is the story of the paralysed man in the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, you may want to turn there with me. I'm going to be reading 12 verses, but I'm going to do it a little bit differently. You see, I want to try and move us away from Sunday school Jesus and Sunday school paralysed man and try and put us in the story how it actually was. I'm going to be stopping as I'm reading the verses and try and paint a picture. What does the scene smell like? What does it feel like? What can you see around you? I think so often it is really good to reground ourselves in these Sunday school stories because they hold so much truth for us. You know, the Bible or the Word of God is the living Word of God. The Bible is the only book you will ever read that will read you back and speak to you. So I want to put us in the story this morning. You can follow along. But as I say, I'll be stopping a couple of times just to try and paint a picture. So if you're ready and you've got your Bible there, I'm going to be reading from the New International Version, Mark chapter 2. It says this, A few days later, this is a few days after Jesus has been up and down Judea healing people, Jesus again entered Capernaum and the people heard that he had come home. Now this was a big deal. This was before the days of Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or TikTok or BBC News or all the news outlets we get our, our information from. But let me tell you, the news about Jesus would have spread like wildfire up and down this country because no one had seen anyone do what Jesus had done for centuries, right back in the days of the prophets. Jesus was not only a great priest, 
preacher. It says every time Jesus preached, people were amazed, but he did miracles. And I'm not talking about like pulling a bunny rabbit out of a hat here. I'm talking about blind people who have never seen the light of day. He was healing their eyes. I'm talking about deaf people who never heard. He was opening their ears. I'm talking about dead people who had died and laying in a tomb. They were being risen again. News like wildfire had spread from the furthest top of Judea all the way down into Jerusalem and around. Jesus was the celebrity of the day. Although he often didn't like the crowds, uh, he wasn't caught up in the fame thing. He'd withdraw to, to pray. The only reason he came to the crowds, we learn, is because he had compassion on them. He wanted to bring heaven to earth and bring healing and wholeness into the people of God. And just as a side note, I still believe he does that today. But Jesus had come home, he'd gone to Capernaum and he'd found himself probably at lunch in a house and suddenly people got wind of the fact that Jesus was there. Capernaum's uh, near a beach, there's a sea, it would have been really, really hot, it's in Judea, so you know the weather we had last week, 30 odd degrees, it would have probably been uh, 40 degrees, it would have been hot and sweaty, although there would have been a nice sea breeze. Now the people, as soon as they heard Jesus were there, remember there's no PlayStation, there's no Xbox, this is their entertainment probably for the year, so they flock to go and listen to Jesus preach. They push their way in the house. There's probably 50 people crammed in a small living room. And and not only that, people who couldn't get in the house started to crowd around the outside, pushing their noses against the window frames to try and hear what Jesus had said. So what would this have looked like? It would have looked chaotic. It would have been a huge throng, a huge crowd. It would have been hot and sweaty. What would it have smelled like? You could probably smell the distant fishing uh, shore. You probably could have smelled a lot of BO. It was very hot. This was before coronavirus and social distancing. You probably could have heard children chattering excitedly, pushing between their parents' legs. You're probably feeling a little bit cramped. If you're claustrophobic, you are probably not happy. Verse 3, and then crowded, some men came bringing to him their friend who was a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since the crowd could not get since they could not get to him, sorry, to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowering the mat the man was lying on. Can you imagine this scene? They saw the crowd and I can imagine that this paralysed man who had had all this hope bubbling inside of him for years and years, he was desperate to use his legs, but he had no way of doing it. And I can imagine as he sees this crowd in front of him, the hope inside dying. But then one of the friends has a great idea. He starts to push and use his elbows to get through the crowd, to get to the side of the house. This house would have been a one-storey house probably, and it would have had stairs on the outside of it leading up to the roof. Because, you know, back in those days, there was big extended families, close-knit units. When friends and family came to visit, there wasn't much room in the house. So the friends and family would go and sleep on the roof. It would have been a tiny, narrow staircase. Imagine four of you trying to get a man on a stretcher up a tiny, narrow staircase onto a roof. Now let's go back into the room. Jesus is preaching. and I imagine he's probably got a scroll. He's got the word of God there, the Old Testament for him. And the room, although packed and crowded and hot and sweaty and smelly, was absolutely silent. You could have heard a pin drop because people were so caught on every word Jesus was saying. And as Jesus starts to expound his sermon, whatever he's preaching about or illustrating that day, you would have began to hear this k, 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 a 
scratching and the hard brick ceiling above would have been like um, compacted mud and straw and thatch suddenly you would see dust start to fall I imagine Jesus if he's got his skull would have dust start to fall on his skull and stopping and looking up and I can imagine the, the silence is suddenly disturbed by a murmuring as people are looking up, trying to figure out what is happening. And as they're looking up, they see a finger and sunlight completely just break through the dark, crowded, hot room. And as they're watching, the finger becomes two, and then the two fingers become a hand and then an arm. And then suddenly it's wide enough that a stretcher probably goes in vertically, begins to be lowered through the ceiling. The chattering and the murmuring increase and this man is lowered down by four of his friends until he lands on the floor at the feet of Jesus. I imagine those at the front of the crowd would have helped to navigate the man to put him at the feet of Jesus. They loved his preaching the crowd, they loved everything he was saying but here was a moment where they could see a miracle all for themselves. They laid the man on the floor and they backed off to give Jesus room. And I imagine in the murmuring, the chattering suddenly dies down and there's a pregnant pause in the atmosphere as people wait with bated breath to see what Jesus is going to do. And this is how I see it on my mind. I imagine that that silence extends probably for 15, 20 seconds, but probably if you were there, felt like 10 or 15 minutes as people are just so anticipating what is going to happen next. So what does happen next? It says this, verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he's talking about the faith of the thread, the friends, there's four of them. I can imagine if you looked up in that living room, you would have seen four dirty, grubby faces, sweaty, looking down, uh, breathing heavily, waiting for something to happen. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, you are healed. No, he didn't say that. He said, son, your sins are forgiven. Wow, what a strange thing to say. This is a miracle working man brings dead people back to life. He's looking at a crippled man whose desire is to walk. What does he say? Get up and walk? Well, no, not yet. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. And I can imagine that pregnant pause breaking and people begin chattering. Of what, what does he mean? His sins are forgiven. And I can imagine Jesus holding up a hand because here's what happens next. Verse 6. Now some teachers of the law, religious leaders of the day, were sitting there thinking to themselves. They weren't audible. They maybe muttered a little bit to each other, but they were thinking to themselves in their heart. Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Listen to this. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking such things? So as Jesus told this man his sins are forgiven and the chatter is beginning to build and people are murmuring, I can imagine Jesus holding his hand up for silence and silence instantly coming. Immediately, it says, Jesus looked at them. Can you imagine Jesus looking at you? He's reading their thoughts. Can you imagine the intensity of that gaze if you're a religious religious leader? Verse 9, which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. And I can imagine the, the weight of those words. I can imagine the man trying to compute those words as Jesus looks at him. Get up, take your mat and go home. What happens? Well, the man got up, he took his mat 
and he walked out, listen to this, in full view of them all. Possibly hundreds of people. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never, ever seen anything like this. Can you imagine what it would have felt like to be in that room? Can you imagine what it would have been like to see a man push past you at the back of the crowd, navigate his way up the steps on a mat, not able to walk, maybe with shriveled legs, and then minutes later see him walk through the crowd. I can imagine the crowd parting like the Red Sea, just absolutely amazed at what had just happened. Now we could go home there, but what I want to do, I want to pull out some truths for us here, because I believe there's so much we can learn just from that simple story, whether you're a six-year-old or a 60-year-old or an 80-year-old or a 30-year-old, there is some lessons I just very quickly want to pull out. Now, the first thing we see in this instance and reading the preceding chapters before this instance in Mark is that if you have anything wrong with you, and I believe this isn't just physically, but spiritually, emotionally, if there is something that you are struggling with, the place to be is to get to the feet of Jesus. He is a miracle worker. He can not only realign bones, he can not only bring dead eyes to life, he can not only raise dead people, he can restore soul and spirit. He can give a hopeless situation hope. Now, can you imagine what that paralyzed man would have been feeling as he heard that the son of man, as he called himself, was coming to his town, Capernaum again. And he had come on the back of amazing reports. And we know, don't we, with Chinese whispers and gossip, that reports are often exaggerated. But I can imagine that for so long, this man who had had no hope at all, no hope in his life, no hope in his future. He would have sat at his bedroom window looking out, seeing his peers and his friends grow up playing football, going to college, going to university, progressing in their life, and he's just stuck on his mat. What it would have felt like to hear that a miracle worker was coming to his town. Instantly, he's texting, he's on the phone, he's shouting out to his friends, look, guys, I need your help. I know there's one person, if I have any hope of doing anything with these legs, that my hopeless situation, whatever it is, if I have any hope, it is to get to this man's feet. I need some help. And I want to tell you, at some point in our life, friends, all of us are going to be on the mat. All of us. Now, your mat might not be called paralysis, but it might be called depression. Your mat not might be called crippled, but it might be called cancer. Your mat might be called financial difficulty, or your mat might be called breakdown of relationship. Whatever it is, there is some point in your life, friends, where you are going to hit a wall, and it's going to be hard, and you are on a mat. And it's at those times it is so important that we are in a community that are together because that man had no hope of getting to Jesus unless four friends were willing to get into his room, willing to get hot and sweaty and dirty and cramp up and struggle through a crowd to get their friend to Jesus. You know what? Can you be a Christian without community? Absolutely. But when we read in the Bible, it is expected that church people, believers in Christ will do church, will do life, will do faith in a community, in a church together. Even meeting like this online, we are still a community. We are still of one heart. We may be physically distanced, but I want to tell you, we are not socially distant. We are the body of Christ. It is so important that we are together. 
Now, one of my favourite Bible verses, you will hear me bang on about this for years to come, LCF, I promise you, is Proverbs 13.20. It is a life verse of mine. It is so important. It says this, If you walk with the wise, you will become wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. If you walk with the wise, you will become wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. What's it saying? If you get around good people, the likelihood is, is you're going to have a good life. You see, your environment will dictate your future. Who you allow to speak into your life, who you allow into your life, will dictate the measure of success, whatever that looks like, walking forward. Solomon, who wrote that, was credited to be the most wisest person to ever have walked the earth, of course, bar Jesus. And he also says this in Proverbs twelve twenty six. Listen to this, really important. The righteous choose their friends carefully but the way of the wicked leads them astray let me read that one more time the righteous choose their friends carefully it is your choice who you hang around with who you do life with what community you are in but the way of the wicked leads them astray and you might be familiar with the 1 corinthians passage that says bad company corrupts good character and the implication is there that good company makes good character. What I'm trying to say here is the choice of the man's friend, the paralysed man's friend was so important. If he had friends like we see in an Old Testament book, the book of Job, he would have never have got to the feet of Jesus. What's really interesting is Proverbs tells us to walk with the wise. When Job sits down to be comforted by his friends, his friends sit down with him. There's no journey. They sit with him and they make it worse. You see, good friends pick you up and they begin to walk. Psalm 23, one of the most famous psalms in the Bible. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Let me tell you. You need friends in your life to be together with you who are going to walk through the valley and not come down in the valley. We've got to be walking through this phase of life and faith and future. We need to get together, friends, with some good people who are going to speak good things into our life. Imagine if the man had chosen friends who weren't willing to get down in the dumps with him, who weren't willing to pick up a corner, who weren't willing to push through a crowd, who weren't willing to climb and dig and lower him. He never would have got to the feet of Jesus. And I'm telling you, as I've said, there'll be times in your life when you're the man on the mat, whatever that mat is called, whatever situation or circumstance it is, but also, friends, there's time in your life at LCF, in our community, where we need to be willing to pick up a corner. It was absolutely obvious this man needed to get to the feet of Jesus, but he could never have got there without his friends. Together, friends, we need to move forward. We don't need to camp down in any valleys. We don't need to sit down in misery. We don't need to sit down in disappointment. Maybe we need time of sitting of bereavement, of sadness, but we always need to be willing then to get up and march on and move forward. What's really interesting in this account is the four friends aren't named. And I find this a little bit weird. When I read these Bible stories and I read my Bible, I pay attention to detail. As I said, this is the living word of God. I believe every word is in there for a reason. You've got Old Testament books uh, like one Chronicles, when you've got chapters and chapters of names. And it, it's just name after name after name after name. There's no not much significance there. It's just genealogies, it's names. And then we get to an incredible 
incredible story like this in Mark chapter 2 with four friends doing something absolutely amazing, but they're not named. And what I want to do this morning, or whether you're watching back on playback on YouTube or Facebook, what I want to do today is name those four friends. And you know what? You may be able to name them straight away. You might be able to think of your bubble or some people in your life group or some people from our church who you can name Mark or Ian or Matthew or or David or Raymond. You might be able to name some names who are your map bearers who will pick you up when you know you can't get up. But I want to tell you the four names I want to give these friends this morning that really help frame what happened to this man are these. Number one, I want to name the first friend, compassion. You see, people of God, we need to be people of compassion. If you're a Jesus follower, if you have had an encounter with Jesus, you cannot help but have compassion for people. I was told growing up that we as Christians are the hands and feet of Jesus. We are the hands and feet of Jesus on earth. We are his physical representation to the world. And what's really, really interesting is we need to know that Jesus' hands were pierced. Jesus had big, dirty, great scars in his hand from going on the cross for you and I. And compassion often costs something. For the friends here, it costs sweat and grit and tears and probably back cramps and leg cramps and grazes on their elbows as they're navigating a staircase. Friends, we need to be willing to pay the cost to save a soul or to help someone in need. I want to challenge you this week, as you go about your your week, your your shopping, your work, if you're able to go to work, when you're in your, your friendship groups, if there is a need, do not walk past it. If you can meet a need, always be willing to meet a need because friends, as people of God, we are called to be mirror images of Jesus and Jesus would never walk past a need. Friend number two, I want to call revelation. You see, one of those friends had to have been excited about the prospects of getting one of his friends who needed it to the feet of Jesus. They had to have some measure of faith that what they were doing was going to be worth it. I want to suggest that one of those friends had seen something of Jesus before and knew that his friend, if he could get there, would be healed. Friends, let's get around people of revelation in our church, people who have incredible stories of faith to encourage us, to spur us on, to help us and to coach us in the things of Jesus. Friend number three, I want to call imagination. Imagination. I can imagine that as the four friends were carrying the paralyzed man to get him to the feet of Jesus and they came up to the back part of the crowd, probably hundreds deep, they probably couldn't even see the doorway where they needed to go to reach Jesus. I imagine three of them probably should have said, well, mate, it's not going to happen today. Maybe let's call him Matt on his mat. Matt, we're not going to be able to get you to Jesus today. Look at the crowd, there's just no way through. Maybe they had linear vision. Well, let's try again tomorrow. Let's just get up early again tomorrow. Uh, Maybe Jesus will still be here tomorrow. But one of the friends, let's call him Imagination, said, no, we can do this. Let's think, let's be innovative. How can we get the person who needs to get to the feet of Jesus to the feet of Jesus, even though the way seems hopeless and blocked? And instantly I can imagine this friend scheming and and taking a moment, probably sat in the cool of a palm tree in some shade, thinking, there's a crowd here, there's a house there, Jesus in the house, what can we do? Well, actually, why don't we try and get up on the roof and if we... 
if we take some water, maybe we can damp that hard packed mud roof and maybe, just maybe we can get a finger through and a hand and an arm and a mat and our friend and maybe we can get him to the feet of Jesus. You know, in these days, in these times, we need people of imagination in our lives. When we're facing hopeless and hard and difficult situations, we don't just need people who are compassionate and will help us uh, in that situation. We, we don't just need revelation that God can do something. We need someone who can actually get us to the feet of Jesus. We looked a few weeks ago about that verse in James, that faith without works is dead. You know, it's all good to have faith, but if there's no action, what does it mean? We need people of imagination in our lives who will get us onto the roof, who will dig through that thatch, who will dig through that mud and drop us at the feet of Jesus. And the last friend, the fourth friend, I want to call him determination because it's all good having imagination but when you are trying to push through a crowd and you're 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 getting pushed and shoved and it's sweaty and it's stinking and your nostrils are filled with bo and fish and all sorts of smells that were in that world then and as you start to navigate up the staircase and it's really really narrow and you're scraping your uh, uh, your your elbows and your knees and you're knocking into each other Oftentimes imagination can give up because it just seems too difficult. This is where determination gets in the picture. He says, guys, we need to do this. We committed to do this. No one ever said the road is going to be easy, but we know we can get there. We've got the compassion there. We've got the faith to do it. We've got the way to do it. But when it gets hard, we can't just ditch out. I've got a friend who's like that, who when I'm feeling down in the dumps, I will call him up and he will just spur me on. He is a massive encourager to me oftentimes he will just text me a bible verse or or just tell me i am doing so well and i might have had a really rubbish day but he gives me determination so friends let's get people like that around us not just sitting next to us in the pews let's invite them to do life with us you know church isn't just a sunday meeting 45 minutes on youtube or an hour and a half in the building church is doing life together let's do life with compassion let's do life full of revelation let's do life full and brimming with imagination and let's undergird it all with determination maybe you are on a mat this morning You can name it. I don't know where you are or what you're struggling with or what that wall you are facing is. But let me tell you, there are people who want to get alongside you, pick up a corner and get you to the feet of Jesus. And if you're watching live on our church online platform, there's a group of hosts waiting online just for you to click a button to pray with you. And we don't just want to give you a typed prayer. We want to follow that up with you. So click that button. If you're watching on Facebook or YouTube or you're watching on playback and you've just got no one around you you feel like you're sat in your bedroom looking out at the world passing you by because you were struggling with worry or anxiety or or some sort of difficulty it might be emotional spiritual or physical you just can't get up and you need someone to let get alongside you please email us we want to grab a corner and help you get to the feet of Jesus many of us have been on that map before we know what it's like but we know we know without a doubt what happens when you can get to the foot of Jesus. Let me finish uh, with this verse. So if you are watching on playback, you want someone to pray pray with you, please get in touch with us. You can do it on our social media channels, our Instagram at lcf.church, on our Facebook page, LCF, just send us a message or please do email us at 
admin at lcf.biz. We want to pick up a corner. We want to help you. Whether you don't know Jesus at all, that doesn't matter. We want to get alongside you. Whether you've known him many, many years, you just need some encouragement. Let us help you. Let us pick up a corner and let us carry you to where you need to get. Listen to this, Ephesians 2, 21 to 22, around this theme of together. In him, in Jesus, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built up together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The image Paul is giving us there is when we come together as Christians, as the people of God, as followers of Jesus, we are like a holy temple rising up towards him. And this is my commission to you as we're looking at together moving forward, together getting to the feet of Jesus, together making an impact on our community and our world. In light of those verses, don't be a brick, be a temple. Don't be a brick, be a temple. You see, temples are made of bricks. But one brick doesn't do much. The only thing one brick is good for at the moment is probably putting your barbecue on or throwing through a window. Okay, One brick is not helpful, but when we get together, we intersperse with each other, we stand alongside, encourage and champion and love one another. We become a holy temple in what happens. God dwells in the midst. Now we're going to finish our service soon, but before we do that, we just want to recap the last four weeks, our four messages. We had this amazing poem written by one of our members, Fortuna, and we're going to be uh, read that by a number of our younger members at LCF before we go into a closing song. So church, thank you for listening so well. Please do get in contact if there's anything we can do to just pick up a corner and help you in your faith walk. Other than that, we'll see you in Zoom later on. Much love, church. Together, we are family. We keep it tight, we keep it real. Things are always all right. We care about how we feel. We love one another. And that is our reality. Oh, would you look at that? Together, we are family. Together, we can make a difference. Around us, there is all kind of bitterness. People being dark and inconsiderate. It can be because of differing opinions but we can change that with love and kindness. That regardless of their experience, we are all very important. Let's show the world that we are all significant, because together we can make a difference. Together we are stronger. If I give you a single stick, you could easily snap it. But now I'll add loads to the mix, and you can't do it because together they are too thick. We can be just like that to assure you. We have power if we help one another. So let us all come and gather, for together we are stronger. Together we have faith. Given what's happened every day, we can sometimes question our place. In a world so big, it can get so hard to think. A lot of stuff can get in the way. At times we will lack words on those days. But what can we say? Together we have faith.